0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Today is International Anti-Corruption Day. Despite having a national anti-corruption action plan in place since 2019, as well as countless affirmations from politicians of all stripes that they believe in clean government, Malaysia has continued to slide in the rankings of the Transparency International Corruption Perception Index. Why is there such a vast gap between the rhetoric and perception of anti-corruption action in the country? And more importantly, what should the new government be doing to convince the public that its pledges are more than just lip service? With me to discuss this is Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar. Welcome to the show, both of you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us, Shirzana.
1: Now, let's begin the conversation with an attempt to diagnose the disease. And um, in this sense, the Corruption Perception Index, or CPI, is a helpful tool as an annual benchmark on public sentiment towards corruption in government. So, Dr Mohan, as the compiler of the CPI report um, for Malaysia, in broad strokes, maybe you could tell us why we're doing so poorly, why why we've been going down the past few years.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, The uh, Corruption Perception Index, first of all, let me explain that it is the... Uh, assessment of uh, public sector corruption, okay? So uh, it doesn't measure um, uh, what you call uh, corruption in the private sector, okay? The reason why it has not been doing well is because there has to be a greater political will uh, by the, uh, uh, the government, you know? Now, if you recall back in 2019, our score went up and also our ranking also shot up. You know, but after that, in 2020, uh, it started sliding down And also in 2021, it started sliding down you know? So uh, our score has been going down and our rank has also dropped Now the reason for that is some of the reforms that was uh, committed in the National Anti-Corruption Plan uh, Were not carried out and uh, and besides that, some of the high-profile cases uh, were either they got a discharge not amounting to acquittal or the case was totally discharged and things like that. Uh, for, so we are going to wait for the 2022 results in January uh, next year. Mm-hmm. And we will see what's going to happen. Uh, of course, on the plus side, with the conclusion of the SRC case and uh, uh, conviction has been obtained for the former Prime Minister so that probably is a kind of a dampener uh, against uh, a further drop in our this thing, but I'm not predicting uh, what going, what's going to be the score like for 2022. But I think more reforms, institutional reforms, has to take place if we want to improve.
1: Okay, so we are going to be watching out for the next CPI report in January, which will look at all the events of 2022. Karen, if we look to the past year, what has stood out to you um, most in terms of developments related to the corruption debate? On on the balance of things, in your view, have we taken a step forward or backwards in combat? public corruption?
0: Um, Well, I think uh, that uh, the fact that there is insufficient uh, reforms to the institutions in the country uh, does reflect on the fact that there is no real development um, on uh, combating uh, corruption in the country. Um, So for example, when we are talking about um, having the uh, discussion on political financing bill and that's been very heavily uh, you know, raised and debated over the last year um, you can see that there is um, like what Dr Mohan said just now a lack of political will to want to progress in mm. tabling that in the parliament um, so despite the fact that there is uh, an APPG uh, in the parliament where all political parties sit together to try and talk about it and with the Malaysian Bar actually drafting the bill itself, um, and and presenting it and saying here, you know, you know, don't don't take too long. Um, we've got it ready for you. Um, all you have to do is just tweak it in uh, according to the principles that you might want. Um, and even then, also, I think we are finding quite a lot of pushback. So uh, not enough reforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know um, that strengthening the institutions in the country uh, is critical in terms of good governance. Um, without uh, proper, uh, st- uh, strong institutions, um, then transparency and accountability would take a back seat.
1: We're going to get more into um, institutional reforms and the kind of recommendations that both of you have um, for that. But I would like to talk a little bit about the National Anti Corruption Plan, the NACP, that you raised, Dr. Mohan. Um, it's supposed to run from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty three. So we're actually almost towards the finish line of this. Um, it, although it was introduced under the Pakatan Harpan government, I think it's safe to, de- to say that subsequent governments have also adopted the blueprint, or at least they didn't disavow it. it you know, it, uh, reports on it has have continued to come out, but. Um, Do you think the changes in government have have doomed the implementation of the NACP anyway? Because there's just been too much political distraction from the anti-corruption agenda.
2: Yes, Uh, regarding the National Anti-Corruption Plan, it's uh, actually, first I have to let uh, the audience know that I have actually checked around uh, and no country in the world has a very comprehensive five-year anti-corruption plan. And we are the only country who has that. So we should be very proud of that. But very unfortunate that because of uh, post-Sharatan move, uh, when the Pakata Harapan government collapsed and the subsequent government came into power, they did not abolish the uh, NACP. They agreed to continue. But the political will was not there to mm. see through. There were initially 115 initiatives And of course, during the midterm review, there were some changes. Now, we understand that those that that requires legislative changes, especially you need two-thirds support in Parliament for amendments, constitutional amendments, uh, for example, the the uh, separation of power and all that, we can understand that because they didn't have that majority, uh, so they, they cannot be implemented. But there are a lot more other initiatives which government agencies are supposed to implement, and this was not done. Now, the last report from GICC, uh, if I'm not wrong, around May or June, reported that they only covered up to 33% of those initiatives. And this is uh, very disappointing because we only have one year left and, uh, and, and TI, in the past two years, uh, and also in many other forums, we have called upon the government to give this task to the chief secretary uh, to the government, the KSN, to take the lead the reason why we are, we are want the government to take this approach, because he is the highest civil servant and most of the implementation of the NACP is from the agencies and so on. Mm-hmm. So if he takes the lead, and you know, it's his own KPI, definitely everybody will fall into its place and, and deliver.
1: Let me know. just interrupt there um, Dr Mohan, maybe you can explain then who actually is the gatekeeper for the NACP then? Does it fall under the prerogative of the MACC or it's not the KSN as you mentioned, so who's actually monitoring this?
2: Okay, the, the The body that is entrusted to monitor this is the GICC. GICC is policy makers and in fact the NACP actually... Uh, the brainchild of NACC was from GICC. When GICC was formed, the NACP was put together and of course, the government servants, consultants, including us, civil server, uh, civil societies, we were involved in formulating the NACP. So it is very dear to us that to see these reforms uh, taking place. So unfortunately it has, it has stalled and, but I would say that uh, it is still not too late for the new government that has come in. Uh, we would re- strongly recommend that the Prime Minister takes a personal interest in this and, and push through uh, the uh, changes that are recommended in the NACP. Uh, because a lot of institutional reforms you are talking about, it's all inside there. You mm-hmm. know So there is no reason to reinvent the wheel. And GICC is the right body to actually execute this.
1: On International Anti Corruption Day, I'm speaking to Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar. When we come back, we're going to discuss ways to strengthen institutions tackling corruption. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile. 5G now with you. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar, and with me today is Dr. Muhammad Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar. We are discussing policy action that should be prioritized, which would genuinely reflect the government's anti corruption commitment. Earlier, we were talking about the National Anti Corruption Plan, the NACP, and the different um, uh, agencies that are in charge of it. The GIACC is the primary one. Um, that said, uh, the MACC or the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission, that is the body that tends to get most of the attention when it comes to anti-corruption action because of its inves- investigative powers. Uh, Dr Mohan, do you think the MACC has been effective in its mandate?
2: Um, well, the MACC is an enforcement body, you know, and um, their role is to uh, ensure that uh Uh, uh, there is uh, good practices and at the same time any wrongdoings are investigated. So that is their role. Uh, Their role is not uh, on policy making and so on. Of course their inputs can be Uh, taken in uh, by GICC, but GICC is actually, they are really the policy makers. Now, whether they are effective, uh, well, public perception is one thing, whereby uh, they tend to feel that, you know, MACC may not be independent and so on. But at the moment, the way the MACC is structured, uh, the appointment of the Chief Commissioner is done on the recommendation of uh, the Prime Minister for a candidate. And then the Yang Di Pertuan Agong appoints the uh, Chief Commissioner. So this is where the issue is, whereby when a change of government happens, the, the Prime Minister has the prerogative to appoint a Chief Commissioner that he wants. And this is what part of our institutional reforms is to have that separated Mm. so that probably the appointment uh, can be done through a parliamentary select committee or so Mm -hmm. and then uh, the Prime Minister is not directly involved. So uh, the question of whether they are effective or not, only based on the cases we see. And also, generally speaking, if you compare with Indonesia, the Kapika equivalent of MACC, uh, their benchmark is always the number of conviction they get. That means if you charge 100 cases, uh, and uh, how many? Uh, what is the rate of conviction? Uh, so that's how it is being measured.
1: Mm-hmm. I think um, based on the rate of conviction, the MACC uh, chief did say that uh, Malaysia has a 90% uh, conviction rate. Um if I remember correctly. Well,
2: uh, yeah, he did mention about that, uh, which is good. Uh, but uh, the uh, being uh, someone who had been once a whistleblower myself in an, uh, in, in an MACC case, for MACC I became a witness, it's not so easy. Mm. When you go to the court, uh, uh, it's very difficult. If you don't have your uh, enough uh, substance and evidence, mm. it's not easy to prove. So public has to also understand that it's not that MACC don't want to charge, but you need to have a sufficient amount of evidence before you actually uh, take up the case. Mm.
1: Karen, I'd like to bring you into this because earlier this year, the Malaysian Bar did stage a walk in protest against uh, the MACC uh, for its probe of Justice Mohamed Nazlan. There's currently a case being heard by the federal court on whether the investigation was constitutional. And there have been um, concerns that uh, these kinds of probes will actually tarnish the uh, Malaysian judiciary. I suppose in light of of these developments, are there any changes that you'd advocate for the MECC to prevent another confusing situation like this
0: from occurring? Well, I think uh, the decision that's going to be made by the Federal Court on this matter, on the constitutionality of the issue, would be very important because we are talking about uh, the implement uh, the application of Article 125. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there is insufficient mechan- mechanism to deal with this kind of situation. Uh, we still stand by the position that, you know, any investigation that's going to be made against uh, a sitting judge, um, the specific name cannot be be disclosed to members of the public because it will tarnish uh, or taint um, the confidence uh, of the public in the judiciary as an institution. So insofar as MECC is concerned, um, you know, we have have been advocating for the reform to uh, the MECC uh, even for many, many years. Mm. And even uh, back in 2018, um, when the Malaysian Bar was invited to uh, present working papers to the IRC, uh, we had submitted more than 60 over papers and the reform to uh, the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission is one of uh, the working papers that we worked on. Um, We think that there is insufficient independence and autonomy uh, within MECC at the moment. Uh, We think that uh, the the fact that there is no power to hire or fire uh, is also uh, you know lends to the problem that mm. you know there is no uh, independence uh, or autonomy uh, we are looking at trying to set up an anti-corruption service commission uh, members of which is going to be from the public service or maybe even from the civil society and these are the ones who are going to be uh, recommending the chief commissioner uh, to the prime minister and that the prime minister should uh, again you know the powers of the prime minister uh, should be uh, limited in terms of um, having any discretion whether to object or not. Mm. And if they do object, if the the Prime Minister does object to uh, the appointment of the Chief uh, Commissioner as recommended uh, by this uh, commission, then um, the reasons for the objections must be stated. So there is that transparency that we are looking at. uh, the the we, we are also looking at uh, the act to be amended mm-hmm. uh, for maybe a broader definition, a broader definition to include non pecuniary gratification uh, circumstances. Uh, we're also looking at uh, um, the powers of the MACC uh, to be able to investigate into uh, officials who are living beyond their means, mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes uh, you know um, it is you, it it is it is seen that the, the official is actually. Living beyond their means by, uh, you know, purchasing you know multi-million houses or cars or things like that. So there, there must be that uh, autonomy given to MACC. Mm-hmm. Um, okay,
1: so on on both of you raised the need for independent leadership of yep. the MACC. It shouldn't be tied to the executive in any way, and also really empowering the agency to actually take action and investigate on things. And in this way, I suppose more resources also need to be allocated to the MACC to make sure that it's yep. properly staffed to make sure that it has the resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another. Uh, element of reform that I'd like to bring out um, under the NACP. Uh, it has an entire section of devoted to enhancing judicial and legal uh, credibility. And we see that Law and Institutional Reform Minister Datuk Sri Azalina Othman has signaled very early on that uh, she's looking to uh, institute one of these uh, proposals, which is the separating of the roles of the Attorney General and Public Prosecutor. That's something you also mentioned earlier, Dr Mohan. Karen, how difficult will it be to put this into action?
0: Um, well, actually, you know, again, we come back to the the um, political will, and if uh, the um, current unity government is able to have that political will to push this through, uh, we are talking about amendment to the federal constitution under Article One Four Five, uh, that would require two thirds majority. So, if it is true that the unity government does have that two thirds majority, pushing this across the finish line uh, should not really be too difficult. Um, I was just having a conversation with Dr. Mohan. Earlier. Earlier, um that, uh, you know, um, this is actually not a very difficult um, amendment. Um, the rationale for having a separate role between the Attorney General and the public prosecutor uh, is something that um, is most probably supported by People from across divides, mm. um, and and they do understand the reason for it. The reason is that you know uh, the advisor to the government cannot possibly also have hold the power to prosecute um, because there will be a direct conflict of interest, um, and that's the reason why you f- you find that a lot of uh, high standing officials may not necessarily be prosecuted uh, by virtue of the fact that you know th- there is that conflict. The attorney general has actually you know advised the government on certain issues yeah. so um, we all probably would support this uh, this this reform
1: dr. Bohan is this um, amendment particularly important for the country's anti-corruption agenda? Is this one of the key things that we should be looking at?
2: Yes, in our view, this is very important. And that's one of the reasons uh, in the National Anti-Corruption Plan. This is already inside there as one of the initiatives. And uh, as what uh, Karen said just now, that it's very important because the AG plays a role as advisor to the government. And then uh, he also plays a role as a public prosecutor. And the public actually looks at the public prosecutor someone who's independent and even in a case where a government official is involved uh, he can be charged Uh, that's where uh, the perception uh, changes Mm. and and I think that has a big will have a big impact on the CPI even you know Mm. in the future years when the assessments Mm. come in
1: So uh, still looking, I suppose, at this issue of independence. Um, And the Malaysian Bar is also calling for the process of judicial appointments Mm -hmm. under the Judicial Appointments Commission Act to be reviewed. What are the current gaps in the process, uh, Karen, that you think need to be addressed
0: in this? Well, I think that the composition of members from the JAC um, would need to um, be enhanced in terms of its diversity and inclusivity. Mm. Um, We cannot have a uh, commission which is um, too heavy on uh, people who come from only one type of background. Uh, We must have people coming from several types of background, um, whether it is uh, a person who is not necessarily a judge, someone who is a practitioner, uh, not necessarily a practitioner, but also maybe uh, somebody from the civil society, uh, maybe even indigenous uh, background, um, you know, all kinds of diversity. So, you know, the reason why it's important is because when uh, the JAC um, recommends names f- uh, for appointment of judges uh, and judges who are going to be sitting on the bench, they will be making a decision or decisions that will affect across cross divide. You know, everybody, um, not just from one particular background. So it's important that we have sufficient uh, judges who are from different backgrounds um, to make decisions on different areas of law Um, that I think will uh, gain traction in terms of uh, public confidence. Mm. Do
1: you have any thoughts on this Dr Mohan in terms of how we could maybe improve um, or strengthen uh, judicial and legal credibility I guess more broadly looking at it, we've been discussing some of the elements, is there anything you'd like to add?
2: Well I, I think I just agree with uh, Karen that uh, it has, the JSC should have diversity, you know, rather than the, the, the mindset that we uh, uh, being been told to all of us is you know, uh, retired judges or uh, someone with the Background or from the legal side only to be sit in, no? but to have people like civil, from the civil societies and and indigenous group, it'll be a very good idea. Mm.
1: Okay, let's turn our attention to something that's been getting a lot of, um, I guess, headlines, and this is related to government procurement. We see that the flaws in the government c- procurement have once again come under the spotlight, following announcements by the prime minister that uh, reviews will be conducted on major project awards for the 5G rollout and also flood mitigation. What do you want to see come out of this review, Dr Mohan?
2: Well, um, first of all, I would say that uh, when the Prime Minister announced that the $7 billion, uh, for uh, project awarded for the uh, flood mitigation has been put on hold for further review, and I think he's spot on. And uh, the reason why uh, you need to have transparency uh, in public procurement, because it involves a lot of money, and uh, and the best way for tra- good transparency is to have a tendering process. You know, that's the best way. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, uh, there are exceptions to the tendering process, whereby in the case like when you have uh, floods or an earthquake or a major disaster, uh, you can't be tendering to get support, uh, giving support for the people. So those kind of cases... Uh, under a level of authority by the chief minister or the uh, minister or even the prime minister, uh, direct negotiations can be done and uh, and aid can be given. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, uh, the $7 that they are talking about is about uh, medium-term and long-term mitigation plans. For example, building tunnels and uh, putting up a dam. You don't build a tunnel overnight. Uh, You you need to go through, find the best uh, uh, qualified people and so on. Mm -hmm. So I don't see a reason why it cannot be tendered. You know, so I think the Prime Minister is absolutely right and uh, and when they do a tendering process, uh, the Ministry of Finance has a very good uh, very comprehensive policies on public procurement, mm-hmm. including uh, special considerations for competent Bumiputra contractors and so on. So uh, my question is why did they, they don't follow all this? you know mm-hmm. so I think uh, the uh, complete reviewed, Uh, initiated by the Prime Minister is timely and I think uh, this is what we should be doing. All public procurement should be uh, tendered, go through a tendering process. Of course, as I said, there are exceptions and there could be other exceptions whereby it involves national security, you know, or maybe a proprietary item. For example, you are buying a a specific aeroplane, F-16 or F-18 or something. You you can't tender because the source is only single source. You know, so there's those kind of things there could be uh, negotiations and so on and proper technical evaluation before a commercial evaluation is done. So I think uh, that should be the way forward.
1: Okay, I want to come back on the issue of transparency in um, government spending, but we'll do that after the 8.30am News Bulletin. I'm speaking to Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar, to mark International Anti-Corruption Day. We'll continue the conversation on this extended edition of The Breakfast Grill after the 8.30am News Bulletin. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You're listening to an extended edition of The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. And to mark International Anti-Corruption Day today, the 9th of December, I'm speaking to Dr. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar. Now, earlier we were discussing about government procurement processes and uh, we were talking about the need for more transparency and for procurement co- go along certain rules, right? Um, Dr. Mohan, I wanted to just follow up on this point on whether Parliament can play a greater oversight role in checking public expenditure. We have the Public Accounts Committee that has been active, uh, but their resources are limited. The Auditor General carries out an annual review, uh, but this has been a yearly affair in listing out transactions transgressions with little to no follow-up on rectification. So, do you think Parliament can be strengthened in this regard? Are they the avenue that we should be looking at in this?
2: Yes, um, I think Parliament can actually play a, a greater role and that's why uh, parliamentary reforms uh, are necessary. I We know that the PAC is there, uh, but the PAC only can do so much because of the limited resources. And we have said this before because one of the things that civil societies have always objected is uh, political appointments to GLCs and so on. What we are saying is uh, let the professionals and technocrats run these GLCs, either as chairman or so. And politicians should actually uh, get into these various parliamentary select committees. And whenever there are uh, leakages or reports, especially the auditors general reports, you get uh, very uh, frequently uh, series one and two and three in a year and uh, look through these reports. they are repeated issues of leakages and some go into billions. And this is where uh, lawmakers should actually uh, come in and actually challenge this uh, uh, agencies or the director generals, or even the GLCs, uh, so that uh, they have to explain why, they, why, where was this, uh, why was this leakage happening? What mm. happened to your fiduciary duties and so on? So I think lawmakers have to play a better role, and this is where parliament comes in. You know, okay. they they have a role to play.
1: So individual parliamentarians themselves need to be aware, need to pick up the issues in these reports that are made public to them, um, and continue pressing the government.
2: Absolutely. On this.
1: Um, I want to look at the reform or new legislations. Uh, We do know that the anti-party hopping law was one of the landmark legislations enacted and put into force this year to fight corruption. And the next major piece of legislation, as you spoke about earlier, Karen, is the political funding bill. What do you want to see contained in this law?
0: Um, The political funding bill is uh, important to be implemented as soon as possible as uh, we know that um, there is no regulatory framework insofar as... um, political funding is concerned. So not just political parties are not regulated, even individual politicians are also not regulated. Um, And this is a ripe environment for corruption to happen. Um, And we see a a lot of corrupt practices or money uh, practices um, uh, in the election uh, which we've just had, Mm. uh, or or all elections for that matter. Um, I'd like to see um, things like... uh, Threshold being implemented, uh, whether or not you know we can receive uh, foreign fundings, uh, you know, um, there are two school of thoughts. One is say you know limited funding from foreign sources. Um, there's another school of thought uh, which is no foreign funding whatsoever. Uh, I'm I, I'm leaning towards the second option, which is no uh, foreign funding uh, because there should not be um, outside interference in terms of uh, our sovereignty is concerned, mm-hmm. um, and I think we also need to. Uh, debate on the issue of whether or not names of those who are funding uh, should be disclosed. Um, it can be a sensitive matter. Some people are afraid that if those names are disclosed, then um, you know, if uh, let's say another government of the day comes into the picture, you know, they they will be uh, that will witch hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there is um, a need for us to uh, fine tune that kind of uh, provision. Uh, I'd like to also see um, that uh, the political funding. Uh, Framework uh, be handled by again uh, an independent committee or commission, um, perhaps a statutory body, somebody who's going to be able to um, have oversight uh, for this kind of fundings to be given to political parties. Okay.
1: What about you, Dr. Mohan? Are there any rules of thumb or principles that you want to see Um, uh, contained? What
2: I would like to see is that, uh, I agree with Karen, uh, foreign funding should not be allowed. Uh, And uh, the other thing that I would say is there must be a cap on uh, individual donations that they can make to the political parties. And by the way, donations should be only channeled to the political parties, not to the individuals, mm-hmm. all right? So uh, there should be a cap. So uh, civil societies, we have actually uh, given a proposal uh, that the cap should be 50,000 maximum uh, per year uh, for an individual who can wants to donate to any political party. Uh-huh. For companies, uh, 100,000 uh, uh, cap uh, per year maximum, you know? And of course, in some countries, if I'm not wrong, in Germany, for example, these are tax deductible, Uh, In other words, there is a cap and then uh, you submit this for uh, tax deduction and so on. So we like to see these kind of things uh, happening. And the other thing very important that we would like to see is GLC should not be allowed to do political donations Mm. uh, because this is... Perhaps it's already happening where uh, government uh, political appointees are sitting in as chairman in various companies and this is where the leakages could happen you know in in whatever way so these are the few things that we would like to see uh, happening
1: okay and even with mechanisms and laws in place corruption can't come to light without a climate that allows for disclosure of information without penalizing whistleblowers as it stands there are so many barriers to making information public and reporting on wrongdoing um, Karen, how do you think we can create a more enabling legal environment? What are the urgent, um, I guess, reforms or changes that should be done to uh, facilitate
0: this? Obviously, an amendment to the Whistleblowers Protection Act. I mean, at the moment, the uh, provisions under the Act um, is uh, it does not really facilitate uh, people coming forward uh, and to whistleblow. Um, so in order to come up with a... Uh, reforms on amendments to that Act, uh, we first have to identify the problems uh, with that Act. Um, The problems that we see uh, include uh, the fact that, you know, there is a very limited... space for the whistleblowers to actually uh, come forward. Mm. Um, And and they are only able to report cases to enforcement agencies like the MACC or the Securities Commission. Mm. Um, uh, In other countries, we actually see uh, this um, kind of whistleblowing happen outside government agencies. So we have the lawyers or the magistrates, you know, Mm. uh, they they come forward um, to people whom they trust or they're comfortable with. And then, you know, these people are then able to actually uh, move that complaint or the whistle blowing um, accordingly um, There are also things that, uh, that that stops whistleblowers from coming forward is that, you know, they say that you know this Whistleblowing Protection Act is actually subject to the Official Secrets Act and because it's subject to the Official Secrets Act, you know, and everything okay um, uh, under, um, let's say uh, within the government environment can be under the Official Secrets Act. So how do these people actually come forward and whistleblow? Um and and you know the, the environment again under the act okay does not uh, it's not very uh, encouraging because you have uh, subordinates who are trying to. Um Whistleblow against the superiors. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all this conflict that's happening because um, the MACC or the Securities Commission um, may uh, not necessarily take any action. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's a lot of problem that's going to bar the whistleblower from coming forward. Mm, mm. Um so what we really want to do is to, to um, take away certain provisions in the Act um, to allow the whistleblowers to go to more than just the government agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like uh, it not to be subjected to the Official Secrets Act. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want uh, some kind of a flexibility for the types of people who can whistleblow. So like, um, the current uh, climate is that uh, if uh, the whistleblower is somehow uh, involved in um, the uh, criminal activity or the corrupt activity, uh, then they are not entitled to uh, the protection under the Whistleblowers Protection Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want this to be uh, something that uh, we, can, we can actually talk about, which is um, even if they are involved, uh, provided that they are not the mastermind, mm-hmm. um, uh, but they are willing to come forward to whistleblow, then they must be given some protection under that. Okay,
1: there has to be more room, more flexibility, uh, more incentive, really, to get people to divulge what they know. We have about a minute or two left on the clock. I'd like to end with. Uh, Maybe um, recommendations Or I guess a wish list from both of you In terms of what you want to see the government Prioritise in the next year So Dr Mohan, uh, let's start with you
2: All right. Uh, I think as I've already said uh, The government need not worry uh, And start thinking uh, Or even inventing the wheel The NACP is a very good document That you have, it's a blueprint Now we only have one year left Now that I think requires an extension Perhaps uh, another year or two but I think the government should push through all those initiatives inside the NACP. And that will be uh, a very good thing that the government can do. Then on top of that, like what Karen said just now, push through those Whistleblower Protection Act 2010 amendments. This is a major stumbling block. And of course, if I would just wanted to add a little bit more for, on that point, is to allow for internal reporting. The current act only allows you to report to the several agencies as per the act. And uh, like in a country like Holland, they allow internal reporting. So if you are in a company, you report, you will not go to the agencies because you are still an employee. So you will report to the whistleblowing channel in the company. Now, in Holland, what they do is, even though if you report and no action is taken, they can still go to the uh, anti-corruption agencies and they can still report and they are still given protection. Mm-hmm. So these are generally the changes we do. But the, the the root of the whole thing that the government should focus in the is the NACP.
0: Karen, the final word goes to you. Thank you. Um, Obviously, I want to see um, that role between the Attorney General and Public Prosecutor to be uh, separated because um, that can be the root of a lot of the things that's happening at the moment in terms of uh, contributing to the environment of, uh, you know, uh, lack of enforcement. Um, and therefore corrupt practices then thrive. Uh, obviously, I'll also like to see uh, the reforms to the MECC Act to be done, um, like uh, what I explained earlier on. Uh, over and above that, I'd like to also see uh, the uh, institution of the judiciary be strengthened uh, by amendments to certain acts, uh, possible, uh, possibly even amendments to the federal constitution. I think uh, specifically on one two two B of the federal constitution, um, I also would like to urge uh, the Indep- Independent Police Complaints and Misconduct Commission uh, to come into play because you know we've been fighting this for about seventeen years or maybe even more, and we still have not seen you know um, the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: And on that I mean, on that note, it just goes to show that there's so much more that we can discuss on this. We barely scratched the surface on anti-corruption actions that really need to be taken. But thank you so much to the both of you for sharing your insights on this very important day. Thank you. Thank you, Shazana. I've been speaking to Dr. Yeah. Mohamed Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia, and Karen Chia, President of the Malaysian Bar. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.